All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking all about the best bets you can make about the Falcons offense this year, whether or not we'll see big improvement from Kyle Pitts, impact from Drake London, if the Falcons have their long-term quarterback, and if the running game and offensive line come together. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FowlFans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter at FowlFans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family, and We thank everyone that makes Locked on Falcons their first listen each and every day. Locked on Falcons is free and available Monday through Friday on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple Odyssey, Google, Spotify, and on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked on Falcons YouTube channel. Give us a like, hit that bell, and you will get the video version of the podcast the night before the audio drops. So today's episode, we will be talking about the addition of punter Bradley Pinion towards the end of the episode, but the bulk of today's conversation is going to be about what are the best bets you can make about the Falcons offense. And we're kind of borrowing from the positional review series that we were preview series that we have been doing uh, over the last week or so, uh, looking at some of those big question marks that we had for the season at each position group at quarterback. It was, do the Falcons have their guy at quarterback? And that involves questions about Mariota um, questions about Desmond Ritter we talked about at the running back position, you know, whether or not Tyler Algier could be this breakout guy and or whether or not Cordero Patterson can have a repeat of his breakout success from 2021 at wide receiver. We talked about Drake London being sort of the number one guy here in Atlanta. We'll talk a little bit more about Brian Edwards and his contributions tied in. We talked about Kyle Pitts's year two jump and whether or not Anthony Ferkson will be better utilized uh, this year than Hayden Hurst was a year ago in the offensive line. You know, our big question was, you know, how much improvement uh, will that unit make? And so we'll kind of parse some of these questions, these big questions of the season into sort of subset questions. And we'll go in uh, order of most likely of these bets to come true to least likely bets. So that will be uh, how we sort of format this thing. And I think the most likely bets are going to be the ones centered on the tight end position. I think, you know, there's reasons for optimism where we can see this Falcons offense being a little bit more tight in forward in 2022 than it was in 2021. And, you know, some of that is due to the expectations that Kyle Pitts will have a better uh, sophomore year than he did uh, as a freshman. Uh, and I think the ways that he can improve is getting better at the catch point. That will certainly uh, lead to a little bit more success in the red zone. That was an area where he struggled last year. We expect Kyle Pitts to be the leader in targets this year. Uh, last year, he averaged about six and a half targets per game this year. I'm expecting that number to go at least to eight uh, per game. You know, eight is the cutoff that you can usually use for a high end number two versus a low end number one. Uh, So we're hoping that Kyle Pitts can be that low end number one, at least, if not more than that, this upcoming season. And I think one of the ways that Kyle Pitts can increase his production by getting more of those targets is getting a lot more of the short stuff, right? A big percentage of Kyle Pitts's uh, targets last year were vertical throws, uh, but only 42% of all his targets last year were throws under 
10 or more yards in the air. And you compare that to Hayden Hurst in 2020, that was 59% of his targets were short throws. Austin Hooper in his two years in 2018 and 2019 it was 64%. And then you compare, you know, Kyle Pitts to Darren Waller, a player that a lot of people compared him to athletically when he came out a year ago. Uh, Waller had uh, 56% of his targets in 2019 and 2020 be those shorter throws. And I think if Kyle Pitts does see a significant increase in, in those sort of quote unquote dink dunk throws, uh, you know, he's got to be better after the catch in those situations last year on 27 catches on short throws. Uh, he only was able to force one tackle, um, one missed tackle according to pro football focus. So that amounts to about 4% of the opportunities. And you compare that to Hurst in 2020, where it was 9%. Uh, Hooper in 18 and 19 was 11%. And Waller in 19 and 20 was 14%. So those guys are creating more after the catch uh, in terms of, you know, breaking tackles and avoiding tacklers, you know, two, three times as much as Kyle Pitts was. And that will benefit him to be able to take those simple five yard throws on like slants and screens and whatever, and turn them into 15 yard gains. And we know that Kyle Pitts is, you know, strength, big greatest strength is the fact that he is much more of a vertical receiver than those guys that we're talking about. And so that's what makes him this rare unicorn is that he can give, you can get that production on the short stuff. Potentially we haven't seen it yet, but we're expecting more of that this year. And also couple that with the rare skill set that he has as a, a true vertical threat uh, in this offense. And then, you look at Anthony Ferkser, the other tight end, um, and we talked about this in the tight end preview where, you know, Ferkser and, and Hayden Hurst in, in Ferkser in 2020 and Hurst in, in 2021 had a similar workload in terms of how many snaps they were running routes. But Ferkser was targeted 50 times on those plays versus Hurst's 31 uh, targets, which is about 50 percent more per snap. Uh, and so I'm expecting Ferkser to get, you know, match that number of 50 or more targets, assuming he gets a comparable workload as Hayden Hurst, which I assume he will, uh, if not a greater workload than uh, Hayden Hurst. And so I'm currently, and we'll see how this changes as the rest of the summer unfolds as we get closer to the season. But right now I'm kind of projecting Ferkser to have, you know, 60, 65, maybe even 70 or more targets this upcoming season. So he should have a golden opportunity to double the production that we saw from Hayden Hurst. So that's one way that the Falcons offense can probably be a little bit more efficient. And then I think the third best bet that you can make of this group is betting on Brian Edwards being, I guess you could call him a successful reclamation project. If you want to sit here and say that, you know, the Raiders gave up on him. We saw flashes from Brian Edwards in Las Vegas. He just never fully put it together. And one of the ways that he could help, fully put together here in Atlanta is being asked to be less of a vertical threat in the Falcons offense uh, than he was in the Raiders offense. And that was something that Matt Harmon of Yahoo sports said earlier this week on the podcast where the Raiders tried to use Brian Edwards in the similar ways that they use Henry Ruggs and Deshaun Jackson as these vertical threats. And that really wasn't his game uh, in a, in a, in a key way. Uh, Edwards, about 29% of his targets in 2021 were on deep throws, 20 plus uh, or more yards. And you compare that to AJ Brown and in 2019 and 2020 under Arthur Smith, who played the X wide receiver position that uh, Edwards played with the Raiders and will likely uh, get a significant amount of reps there uh, here in Atlanta when, you know, Drake London's not filling those shoes. And AJ Brown only had about 15% of his targets in 19 and 20 being on those deep throws. And when you compare AJ Brown and Brian Edwards, not necessarily in terms of the deep stuff, but on the short and intermediate stuff, their efficiency numbers are very comparable. 
right? In terms of looking at catch rate, looking at yards per attempt. Now, A.J. Brown was much better after the catch, uh, but Brian Edwards was a little bit more shorthanded, uh, you know, with far less drops than A.J. Brown did. So I think Brian Edwards is sort of tailor-made to be uh, this sort of possession X wide receiver. Uh, and that should lead to him having a more successful year in 2021 with the Falcons than we have seen him have uh, with the Raiders in previous years. Uh, I'm sorry, 2022 with the Falcons. Uh, so those are the best bets that you can make. Uh, we'll talk about some other bets as we continue today's episode talking about that. Maybe they're not as good a bet. they still have a decent possibility of coming true. That will include the conversation surrounding Drake London and his ability to impact instantly, as well as the improvements made by the offensive line, uh, potentially this season. And we'll get into all of that as we continue today's episode. But, you know, speaking of making good bets, if you have some good bets that you want to make, uh, head on over to the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. And of course, I'm talking about betonline.net. And whether you want to bet on Wimbledon, Major League Baseball, boxing, UFC, esports, Vegas casino games, you want to bet on NFL prop bets, future bets, Falcons win uh, total over under. You want to bet on Marcus Mariota, comeback player of the year, Drake London, offensive rookie of the year you want to bet on who's going to go to the finals in the nba next year who's going to win the stanley cup next year uh who's going to be the mvp in any of one of these leagues you can find it all at bet online uh so head on over to the website at betonline.net to learn more about the trends in action bet online is where the game starts so you know our next set of bets are you know i would term them possible right the previous three i would sit here and say they're likely to come true. These are possible. These are more of a coin flip type of bets that we're talking about. And the first one we'll talk about is the other wide receiver beyond Brian Edwards is Drake London. And the question about Drake London is, is he going to be an instant impact wide receiver? And the reason why you're willing to make this bet is because Drake London should have a lot of opportunities. He's probably the best bet among this rookie receiver class to basically lead his team in receiving this year. And you look back over the last 20 ish years, going back to 2000, 48 rookies have had, have had over 100 targets in their first year in the NFL. 17 of those have come in just three seasons out of that 22 year span. That was 2021 this past year. So that included Jamar chase and Kyle Pitts. Uh, and we're talking about receivers, not wide receivers. We're talking about running backs, tight ends and wide receivers. Uh, 2020 was also another year where you saw five guys get hundred plus targets last year. It was five as well. And then you had seven guys in 2014 have a hundred plus targets. So 17 out of the 48 uh, came in just three years. And so that means over the other 19 years in our data set on average, there was only 1.6 wide receivers per year that had a hundred or more targets. And when I look at this year's draft class, I do think Drake London is probably the best bet. If, if it follows that trend of maybe one or two guys reaching a hundred or more targets, I think Drake London is as good a bet as you can make in this draft class, just because while we do kind of expect him to be technically the number two to Kyle Pitts um, this year, he's probably going to be the number one among this wide receiver core, unless of course, Brian Edwards winds up, you know, being a little bit more like AJ Brown than we're necessarily necessarily projecting him to be. So I think Drake London's going to have an opportunity to put up production this year and be that instant impact guy that can generate explosive plays, be that possession receiver, be a force in the red zone, all those various things. He will have the opportunities. It's just a question of whether or not as a rookie, he's going to be able to take advantage of the opportunities because we know that there aren't that many, you know, successful rookies. We've seen a lot of successful guys in the recent drafts, uh, but you wonder sort of how much of that is just, oh, these are just two really good draft classes, uh, you know, because that 2014 draft class that we're talking about earlier was 
labeled a historic draft class. And then you kind of wonder, you know, 2020 and 2021, were they kind of historic draft classes? And in certain ways, they kind of feel like it, they were. And I don't know if this 2022 draft class was, uh, you know, that was one of the arguments against, you know, that I made prior to the draft of why I didn't necessarily love the idea of the Falcons drafting a wide receiver. So we'll see if Drake London is able to take advantage of it. Again, he has an opportunity. It's just going to be a question of whether he takes advantage of it. Uh, moving on to the offensive line. And these sort of, again, coin flip type of bets, you know, are, are you know, our quote unquote bad trio of, of blockers and Jalen Mayfield, Matt Hennessy and Caleb McGarry going to be better is, is one of these bets that we're going to make. And one of the things we talked about on yesterday's episode, breaking down the offensive line are the glimmers of hope uh, that you're, you know, if you're going to bet on this, you're, you're betting on this, you're betting on Dwayne Ledford uh, doing a better job coaching up these guys uh, than previous, you know, incarnations of Falcons offensive line coaches. You're betting on, you know, the fact that Jalen Mayfield progressed over the course of the season uh, and that will continue into this season. You're betting on the fact that Matt Hennessy and Caleb McGarry are sort of entering the, the prime years for offensive linemen to, for the click for these guys, right? Yes. Year three, that's year four. PFF has a lot of data that backs up that basically say th- those are the years that offensive linemen typically, you know, put it all together and make their big jumps. We saw that with Chris Lindstrom making a big jump last year in year three. We didn't quite see that with Jake Matthews because his jump didn't really happen until year five which is part of the reason why you, you hear me throw Chris uh, Morgan, uh, the Falcons' former offensive line coach, under the bus because basically Jake Matthews developed at a much slower rate under his watch uh, than you typically expect to see. You know, we, we didn't see that jump for Jake until, you know, a year or two after it should have happened. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we're hopeful that Dwayne Lefford is, you know, every bit as good a coach as he is 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 reputed to be. Uh, and, you know, we talked about how Caleb McGarry showed progress last year when he go, went against the guys that gave him the most fits uh, in previous years, which was the NFC South guys like Brian Burns, Cam Jordan, Shaq Barrett, and, and jokingly saying that those guys had a group chat in, in 2019 and 2020 making fun of Caleb McGarry. And that group chat was relatively quiet last year. And so if you see that type of progress against, you know, arguably some of the better pass rushers that he's faced, there should be indication that that will sort of solidify and click this upcoming season. And, you know, you don't necessarily have that sort of overwhelming evidence of Matt Hennessy, but probably the the one thing that you could probably cherry pick is like in that week two game against uh, Vita Bay and Tampa Bay, he really struggled in that game. And then in the, the rematch against Tampa Bay didn't struggle nearly to the same degree uh, in that game. So that may be a sign of progress that Matt Hennessy's uh, slowly starting to figure it out and can build off of that. So I think that's a, a decent bet that these three guys can be better. You know, the other bet that you could also make that also has a 50-50 chance that we talked about quite a bit on yesterday's episode is whether or not we could potentially replace these guys uh, with, you know, up to three new starters at left guard, center, and right tackle, and those guys would be upgrades at the position. Um, and so, you know, we talked about Jermaine Effetti and how Jermaine Effetti in the last two years as the Chicago Bears starting right tackle was a league average pass protector, which was better than what Caleb McGarry has been over that period of time. We talked about how Drew Dahlman uh, in a limited sample size uh, last year, you know, was I affectionately called him a dirtbag, similar to Joe Hawley, which was a guy that you can argue we saw in two games late last year where he were rotated with Matt Hennessy in one of those games, not the Tampa Bay game. That was the game that Hennessy showed progress in. Uh, but in the Jacksonville game, Dahlman was better. Uh, so, you know, that gives you, again, talking 50-50, that's a 50-50 proposition that if Dahlman gets extended reps, he'll be better than Matt Hennessy. And then, you know, 
Well, we talk about Jalen Mayfield being better in December. If you look at all the guards in the NFL that had at least 200 snaps over those last six or so games uh, of the season in, in December and January, you know, even though Mayfield was better uh, than he was earlier in the season, he was still 61st out of 66 guards uh, ranked according to his PFF grades. And so you, you compare that to other players last year, Justin McCray, formerly of the Falcons playing with the Texans last year was 55th. Daniel Brunskill, formerly of the Falcons playing with the 49ers was 46. And so essentially what we're talking about is basically being better than what Jalen Mayfield was even at his best, you know, relative best last year in the month of December is still basically being a replacement level player. That's what Justin McCray certainly uh, is and was. And so you kind of look at the other options at left guard uh, in Justin Schaefer and Jonathan Harrison and Kobe Gosson and Elijah Wilkinson. And you sit here and you say like, can't we get replacement level play from any number of these guys? Can any one of these guys be just as good as Justin McCray or better? And that would be an upgrade over Jalen Mayfield if he's only as good as he was uh, in December last year. So, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why you sit here and you go like, that's a decent bet. Again, you don't know that because we don't have a, a large enough sample size from guys like Schaefer and Harrison and Gossett and Wilkinson to really feel like that's a good bet that you can make. But based off of very limited sample size, a game here, a game or there, you know, Gossett graded out as a 58 in the week 18 game against the saints when he replaced Jalen Mayfield while Jalen Mayfield's grade in the month of December was 48. Again, that's an indicator that he's better uh, than Mayfield, a potential upgrade, but you know, one game is not necessarily something that you want to make a huge bet on. It could be an outlier or whatever the case may be, you know, that's the difference between betting on a because we have 14 games, 14 starts at right tackle over the last two years that we can realistically think is, is a relatively good bet in that regard. So, you know, I, I think you can flip a coin saying, you know, regardless whether you want to bet on the three guys that are going to, you know, keep their jobs or three new guys that there will be improvement this year. Obviously the big question is just going to be how much improvement, you know, 50 going from the 61st best guard left guard in the league um, to the 55th best guard in the league, you know, is not a massive improvement, but it is an improvement. Um, and, you know, we're talking about continuity, and basically on yesterday's episode, talking about possibly replacing these guys with three new starters, I said continuity be damned. But there's clear evidence, you know, despite that sort of spicy take, that there's clear evidence that continuity is a good thing when it comes to the offensive line. and has been critical to the Falcons' overall team success in recent years when you look at sort of how often they're changing up their five-man unit. It's less of a issue of continuity from year to year, but a continuity within a year. And one of the things I've tracked over the years uh, is how many different starting lineups that the Falcons have had, because you notice this trend where you're constantly shuffling in new uh, five, you know, a new set of five different guys starting on your offensive line leads to poor success. When you have that sort of stability, you have a lot more success. And I have a graphic. So another reason to go check out Locked on Falcons on YouTube. But here's a graph uh, going back to 1996. So 26 seasons. Um, of, you know, the Falcons starting lineup in each game. And here's a graph that shows, you know, at the bottom row, if you're looking at the graph, it shows the number of different five-man units that they had over the course of a season. And then it's, you know, looking at the average wins that they had in that given season. And in the years where the Falcons only had this, you know, one starting unit, 
the same starting five started every single game. They averaged 12.7 wins in those uh, years, right? Those three years happened to be 1998, 2016, and 2010. So years where the Falcons went, coincidentally, I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, The Falcons went to the Super Bowl and were a one seed. They averaged 12.7 wins. When they've had two units, their average win total was 12 wins. And those two years that make up that uh, data set was 2008 and 2012. So arguably the other two uh, best years that the Falcons have had uh, in the last, you know, 25 or 26 years, uh, three units, uh, you see a big drop off and the average win total was 8.1 wins. Four units uh, was, you know, the number of lineups is 7.2 wins. Five was six wins. Uh, six units was 5.3 wins. So you see this strong correlation between, you know, how often you're shuffling in new offensive linemen uh, to team success. And last year we saw three unit, three different units. Now, granted, we had the same unit starting 15 games and one other unit starting one other game each uh, last year. So we had relative continuity given that the majority of games, but overall we still had three units. So it meshed, you know, seven wins on average, eight wins uh, over the course of the season. So, um, you know, the reason why we bring this up is because part of the key to the Falcons offensive line being better uh, is we talk a lot about the three starters that the Falcons may or may not have to reshuffle, but we know there's two guys on this offensive line that are very good. Um, And that's Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom. And the key, one of the other keys to success is those guys being healthy uh, throughout the entire year. You don't want to have those guys shuffling in and out of the lineup because those are the two sort of foundational stabilizing pieces on your offensive line. Uh, and if you're going to have any success on the offensive line, you know, you already have the question marks at the other three spots. Uh, you, you don't want to have question marks at those two spots. And it's notable because whether you look at, you know, five, the last five years, the last 10 years, the last 25 years, uh, on average, uh, the Falcons have had the same starting five, um, in each year start about 10 games. Per year, the most popular starting five started about 10 games. So what that means is, you know, there's about six games on average each year where your depth on the offensive line comes into play because somebody, you know, somebody new or different is going to be starting one of those games. And so, you know, you look at the left tackle position, their top backup is Rick Leonard, their top backup at the right guard position presumably is Kobe Gossett, at least based off of who was getting the majority of the second team reps uh, in OTAs. And so we're imagining a scenario of this is an average NFL season. We'll see, you know, whatever that starting lineup is going to be this season uh, with the Falcons starting five, they'll start 10 games and there's going to be a six games where we could potentially have a Rick Leonard starting, you know, at left tackle, we could have, uh, you know, Kobe Gossett starting at right guard or whatever the case may be. And if that's the case, given all the other concerns you have on your offensive line, that's not a great recipe for success for this offensive line to show significant improvement. Uh, Now, the good thing and the reason why this is a pretty good bet is because Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom have been very durable uh, in recent years. Jake Matthews hasn't missed a start since his rookie season. He's gone 127 straight games starting at left tackle for the Falcons. That is the most uh, since I've tracked since the mid-90s. Bob Whitfield had 91 consecutive starts. I think Tyson Claybo had 91 at right tackle uh, for him. Uh, So Jake Matthews is already one of the most durable players that we've had in recent years, um, you know, over the last, you know, two, three decades, the, the, the highest consecutive win uh, start streak uh, was set by Todd McClure 
from 20, 2002 to 2010, and that was 144. So if Jake Matthews starts every single game this year, he'll match uh, Todd McClure's sort of Ironman record. Uh, and so, you know, you sit there and say, you know, if he can maintain that, that that's a, you know, potential plus for the Falcons, but obviously injuries are random and freakish. And so you feel like, okay, well, he's been healthy for, you know, seven ish years. Uh, why not eight? Uh, but you, you can't necessarily be like, Oh, that's definitely, you know, if you believe in, you know, law of averages or whatever the case may be. And if you're a Falcons fan, you certainly believe in Murphy's law. Um, you know, then you, you do wonder about that. If that's a great bet, uh, if that streak gets broken in year eight or whatever the case may be with Chris Lindstrom, he has started 37 consecutive games since his rookie season, which among right guards going back over the last couple of decades is the third most Gene Williams, had 38. Uh, Keenan Forney had 56 consecutive starts. Uh, and so Lindstrom, if he starts every game this year, will firmly move into second place among the right guard position. And then he could continually build off of that uh, because you look at the other left guard, uh, the left guard position, and Justin Blaylock had a streak of 102 starts over eight seasons at the left guard position. So there's still a lot of room for Lindstrom to sort of show that durability moving forward. So again, injuries are hard things to bet on or against. Uh, you know, they're relatively rare, but you also sort of wonder a little bit about that, that we know injuries typically do happen along the offensive line, going back to that point about, you know, 10 versus six games. So we'll see if, um, you know, Lindstrom and, and Matthews can, you know, maintain their Ironman streaks and their durability and whatnot. I think it's a pretty good bet to make, uh, but it's going to be necessary for this offensive line to improve to the level that we kind of hope it's going to need. So we will close out today's episode. Uh, talking about the the bets that are not necessarily good bets. The bets are less likely to come true for the Falcons, and that will focus on the running back positions and the quarterback positions. And we'll also talk about, you know, Bradley Pinion, the Falcons' new punter, to close out today's episode. And we'll get into all of that as we continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast. So, guys, we're talking about the less likely bets uh, that you don't want to necessarily be putting a ton of money on. Like, you know, let's say, you know, the the tight end bets and the Brian Edwards bets, you'll put $100 on. The offensive line and the Drake London bet, maybe you put $50. These are like $20 bets. Like, they, you know, they might come true. You, you might hit big on it, but the odds are not going to necessarily be uh, in your favor to win the bet. But if you do win it, it will be, you know, a, a, a nice little payout for you. Um you know, the first one we'll talk about is the running back position. You know, is Tyler Algier going to be that workhorse that the Falcons need at the position? And, you know, I don't think that's a great bet not to sit here and say that Tyler Algier won't have a, a, a solid rookie year. But I think the Falcons, ideally, their goal in terms of being that workhorse is being a guy that can get 12, 15 carries a game, average four plus yards per carry, uh, and basically have a comparable season to, I think, what Javante Williams had last year with the Broncos, where he had about 200 carries and about 900 yards. I think that's sort of what you're hoping for from Tyler Algier, which gives you a lot of hope and optimism for future success uh, for him. And I don't know if that's a, a great bet. You know, I think part of that is owed to the idea that maybe he won't get as many opportunities because the Falcons uh, may not, you know, be as committed to running the football late in games where you expect Tyler Algier to get the the brunt of uh, his carries and be that grinder, which is what the Falcons were attracted to, uh, to the guy that could be that grinder and that closer. Um, you know, you expect the Falcons to be more competitive, but that may not necessarily mean that they're running the football in the third and fourth quarters of games. And if they're throwing the football, you don't expect Tyler Algier to be sort of their go-to guy. That's going to be Cordero Patterson. And then you wonder about Patterson. 
is he going to have uh, the repeat success as he did a year ago? I think it's very likely that Patterson will regress. It's just good to me a question of how much he's going to regress. Cause when you look at his production as a pass catcher last year, if you use PFFs, you know, yards per route run metric, uh, Patterson's 2.24 was second best in the league last year. Uh, but when you compare it over the last five years of, of NFL running backs, you know, it was like the 10th best in that span of time, but out of like 280 running backs that qualify, that's still like 97th percentile. And it doesn't seem likely to bet on a 97th percentile type of career year that Patterson just had. Now, does that mean that, you know, he's going to have, he's going to fall off a cliff or anything like that? No, he may have a worse year, but he's still like 90th percentile or something like that. So it's not to sit here and say that Patterson can't have a good year this year. It's just, he's probably not going to have as good a year as he had a year ago. And some of that may just simply be owed to the fact that the Falcons weapons around him are going to be a little bit better. And so therefore he won't get as many opportunities as we saw a year ago. So Patterson having a repeat of last year, I think is not a good bet, but it does not necessarily mean that you betting on Patterson having a good season is a bad bet. Now let's move on to the quarterback position. Uh, and in the two sort of bets that you are potentially making is, is Desmond Ritter the long-term answer at quarterback? And is Marcus Mariota going to be a successful reclamation project? Let's talk about Desmond Ritter first, right? And we've talked about this before on the podcast, you know, the hit rate of quarterbacks taken in that second, third, fourth round range where we took Redder uh, is, you know, going back 20 plus years, it's like 10 to 20 percent, uh, depending on what your parameters are. And when you look at the guys that were successful, at least those early in their careers that were successful, like a Russell Wilson, like a Dak Prescott, there is a tendency, there's a strong correlation, uh, if not causation. Um, between th- them going to teams that check two, at least two out of the following three boxes and having a good running game, a good offensive line and, or a good defense. And obviously the Falcons don't necessarily have those things. Now it doesn't mean that the Falcons are all terrible at those things, but when we're talking about good, we're not talking about, Hey, having the 18th best, you know, whatever we're talking about having a top five or a top 10 type of unit. And, you know, as optimistic as anybody is, I, I really don't think anybody thinks it's a good bet that the Falcons will be top 10 or top five in any sort of meaningful statistical category this year. So one of the things we talked about before with Desmond Ritter is like, given those circumstances and given that lack of supporting guests, probably the best case, one of the better case scenarios, and maybe not the best, but one of the better case scenarios for Desmond Ritter to succeed despite that is similar to what Gardner Minshew did in his rookie years in Jacksonville, uh, where he didn't necessarily have that caliber of supporting guests, but still had a productive rookie season. But we saw Gardner Minshew did not prove to be the long-term answer in Jacksonville. And so similar, I think Desmond Ritter, like Gardner Minshew being sort of a bridge to Trevor Lawrence, we could see Desmond Ritter essentially being a bridge quarterback. That's what I would think is the probably your best bet when it comes to Desmond Ritter's long-term answer. Now, that could still be a guy that starts two or three years here in Atlanta, but whether or not he's going to still be the starter, you know, five years, seven years, 10 years down the road is not necessarily a good bet. Um, And it's just, you know, it's not to sit here and say that that makes Desmond Ritter a bust or anything like that. Like the value of Desmond Ritter is not necessarily being this franchise quarterback. The value of Desmond Ritter is giving the Falcons competent quarterback play, maybe league average quarterback play for extremely cheap. And that allows the Falcons to get, you know, to, to remain competitive as a football team, uh, but also have, you know, the, the cap space and the time to build up the rest of their roster so that, should Desmond Ritter continue to progress, we can sit here and say, oh, he's got a strong supporting cast around him. And now he could, is in a position to be successful and potentially be that franchise quarterback or the next guy that we come in that, you know, instead of 
a situation like Jacksonville find themselves with Trevor Lawrence and going to, you know, a very bad situation, uh, a cluster fudge, as it were, he's going, you know, that next quarterback is going to a, a much better situation. And then he can be the Dak Wills, the Dak Prescott or the Russell Wilson or whomever, uh, the Matt Jones, et cetera, that, or Matt Ryan that goes into a, a more favorable situation and has success. And so, you know, Desmond Ritter, is probably, you know, more the best bet is he's going to be more in that Andy Dalton, Daniel Jones, Teddy Bridgewater tier of quarterback. I think that's a good bet to make, but him being beyond that, I don't know, is a great bet. Um, and you look at someone like the Andy Dalton, who did last like nine years in Cincinnati, and a lot of that was due to his immediate success in the league. They you know, went to the postseason, you know, his first five years in the league, and, you know, he inherited a decent running game, a good offensive line and a, and a top 10 defense. And so it's like, it's not a coincidence there. So uh, moving on to Marcus Mariota, you know, the same issues that are going to plague Desmond Ritter in terms of supporting cast also are probably making it not a great bet to bet on Marcus Mariota being a successful reclamation project. I think, you know, Mariota being able to last more than a season here in Atlanta as this quote unquote bridge quarterback is kind of the hinging on him making this Falcon team super competitive this year and not just like, Oh, they'll win like seven games or something like that. Like, no, they actually win like nine or 10 games and are either, you know, a tiebreaker away or actually in the playoffs uh, this upcoming season. Because I think next year when you have an opportunity to cut bait with Mariota and move on, saving $12 million and assuming again, uh, the idea that Desmond Ritter can be somewhere close to mid-tier quarterback if you're if Mariota is only a mid-tier quarterback this year which I think is actually a a pretty good bet to happen like why not save 12 million dollars and and make a minimal drop off in quarterback uh, and get younger and all that various things and and have the potential for Desmond Ritter to be better than that with development and all those various things so you know I I think for Mariota to be a successful reclamation project you're going to have to see him play like a top 10 quarterback this year. And, you know, given the lack of supporting cast that the Falcons have with, which is not going to necessarily put him in a position to do that very easily, you know, that's not a good bet to me. It's not impossible for Mariota to basically play out of his mind this season, uh, but it's not a good bet, right? You look at last year and you look at the one quarterback that didn't have a great supporting cast that played at a high enough level for his team to actually have a winning record. And that was basically Justin Herbert. Right, he didn't have a running game. He didn't have an offensive line. He didn't have uh, a, a good defense or whatever. Because maybe the running game was okay. It's like not terrible or anything like that. But um, you know, like, but he was able to play that that level. And like, you know, Justin Herbert was you know top ten, top five, top three quarterback, depending on who you ask. Last year, and so the idea that Desmond uh, Marcus Mariota is going to play at that level this year is just not a good bet. Not impossible. You know, it's a non-zero chance that he can play at that level, but it's you know very, very, very low. Um, Because when you look at Marcus Mariota's history, and the one time that he came playing at a level approaching that was in 2016, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that year the Titans had a top five running game, and they had arguably a top five offensive line as well. So they kind of checked two of those three boxes. So again, it doesn't mean that Mariota's going to suck this year. Uh, Again, I think if you're betting on him being close to league average quarterback, you know, basically having a comparable season to what Matt Ryan had, which was basically a league average quarterback, like I think that's actually a pretty decent bet that you can make. That would be one of those 50-50, if not better bets that you can make, but that's not going to be a guy that the Falcons are going to hang on to for more than a year. Um, so uh, that will do it for our best bets segment of today. So in descending order, you know, put your bets on tight ends, you know, the wide receivers, then the offensive line, and then, you know, 
running backs and then probably the quarterbacks in terms of those guys having the sort of the big years and the big production that we're all hoping for. So, um, you know, talking about big years and big production, the Falcons got a punter, man. And, and all of a sudden the, their outcomes change, you know, maybe I should reassess these best bets, but based off of the fact that the Falcons special teams is back, baby. Uh, if you don't know, they signed uh veteran punter, Bradley Pinion, formerly of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday, they cut Dom Maggio who happened to be uh, the first official signing of the Terry Fontenot era. Unfortunately, that era is now over, uh, or at least the Don Maggio era, the Terry Fontenot era, hopefully will be going on much stronger. And that will not be an indicator of, you know, things to come with, with Terry Fontenot, but we're, you know, we're being positive on a lockdown Falcons. So, so there's, it's easy to be positive when the Falcons get a veteran punter like Bradley Pinion, who's very productive for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the last three years prior to that was productive for the 49ers, but it seems like these teams just he's not good enough to to get paid, you know, one of these top end veteran punting contracts this is why teams keep moving on. The Bucks drafted Jake Camarda of, you know, the national champion University of Georgia this past year. And the writing was on the wall for Pinion and Sterling Hoffrichter, uh, who is the other punter that they had on the roster. I was hoping that they would cut Hoffrichter and we could sort of scoop him back up and, and you know, redo that, you know, quote unquote mistake uh, of moving on from him, obviously he was injured and all this. And we won't get into all that stuff on today's episode. But, you know, the, the thing about Pinion um, is that he's a veteran punter. We saw last year when the Falcons tried to go young with Maggio and Cam Nizer, like it didn't work out. They got better when they brought in Dustin Colquitt. And then things got even better when they brought in Thomas Morsehead. It was unfortunate that the Falcons didn't resign Thomas Morsehead. We won't get into the reasons why, uh, but I imagine it has to do with age. You know, Morsehead was 35. Pinion's only going to be 28 um, this year. Uh, so realistically, if he does have a, a solid year and continues to be a solid putter, you know, it's less likely that the Falcons will let him walk in free agency next year. They'll be probably a little bit more willing uh, to pay him, particularly after they get a windfall in cap space next year uh, as well. So, um, you know, this is a solid pickup for the Falcons. It seemed inevitable to me that, you know, I didn't really buy into the idea that Don Maggio or uh, Seth Vernon uh, would be the Falcons. Either one of those guys would be the Falcons punter come week one. Um, but, you know, uh, now that's sort of seemingly official, assuming, you know, nothing crazy happens with Bradley Pinion or anything like that this summer. Uh, so he should be uh, the the starting punter for the Falcons week one. So hopefully that will mean that the Falcons special team is back on track with the kicker and young way coup with the punter and Bradley Pinion. Uh, he, you know, he's pinning, Yun, okay, no, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, I was trying to use a pun on his last name, but I won't. Um, and now it's just the one question on, you know, the Highlander, a.k.a. Liam McCullough, uh, you know, the long snapper, and whether or not he can successfully replace Josh Harris. So if if we can solidify that long snapper spot, um, you know, the Falcon special teams will be back to being the most valuable uh, unit, the MVU on, or the MVP most valuable phase. You know, I'm so clever off the top of my head, guys, uh, the MVP of the Falcons uh, this year. So that is a great bet to make. Uh, if, uh, if, you know, you're betting on, you know, solid long snapper play, which, you know, how bad can it be? You know, famous last words or whatever the case is. So we, we should be good. We should be good. Hopefully we'll see. So that will do it guys tomorrow or that's it for the week. But next week we will have our, our guests, a special guest, Alan Sturk, uh, formerly of the lockdown Falcons podcast, currently of uh, the Falcoholic to join me on 
uh, Falcons all-time draft series where we'll be having a dueling fantasy-style snake draft, picking the best players from Falcons history on both offense and defense. Unfortunately, we won't do, be doing special teams, uh, but, but uh, we'll sort of have a, a dueling you know, team to build up the best roster we possibly can, and you, the listeners, you, the viewers, will be able to vote uh, next week uh, to say who sort of won the draft, who picked the better team, all that stuff and more. So look forward to that. That will be running a four part series all week long. Uh, and then I think on Friday um, we'll probably do a Q and a um, in all likelihood. So if you have a lingering question, I know some of you guys have sent in questions over the last couple of weeks uh, that I haven't gotten a chance to answer. Uh, we'll get to those next Friday. And if you have any questions that you want to send in, of course you can do so via Twitter at lockdown Falcons, via Facebook at lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com, or you can leave a comment here on the lockdown Falcons YouTube channel guys. So I appreciate you for tuning in for another week of, you know, great lockdown Falcons content. And we'll be back more with more great content in next week i hope you guys have a a great you know for the 95 percent of you that are you know living stateside i hope you have a great fourth of july weekend uh and holiday get some hot dogs you know uh don't let the fireworks you know bother you too much it's it's crazy how like when you're a kid fireworks are the greatest thing in the world but the older you get the less fun they are it's like okay okay guys like we'll stop it but that's you know that's a hill I'll die on somewhere else. I'll, I'll leave that negativity for fireworks. It, there's a time and place for fireworks, but you know, at 12 AM or whatever it gives me be like, can we stop guys? Can we, can we stop? Some people got to sleep. Um, but that's just the old man in me. So, you know, whether you're old, young, whatever, I hope you have a great weekend. Appreciate it guys. Till then. <laughs>